Hey, folks. Oi, oi. Hey, oh. Hey, oh. It started saying oi, oi. I don't know why. Oi, oi. It is. Lads, mate. It's because I had delicious that fucking ocean colour scene all week. You shag. Yeah. Welcome once again to another Sound as a Pound, where we're going to spend your hard-earned cash and some lovely, quote-unquote, lovely records. Um, thank you very much for your donations so far. We appreciate that. Um, you keep, I think you uh, agree it's uh, been well used on yeah. the likes of Crash S Dummies and Ocean Colour Scene, Top Loader. Uh, who else have we paid for uh, today? Ash. Ash. Um, I believe we paid for Outcast, but we never got around to doing it. Yeah, we do actually have Speaker Box Love Below, which I gave to you, Dave. Yeah, um, yeah. I have an we'll Edge Iron album. We can do that another one. I've got an Edge Iron <laughs> album which I was not given, um, but as a as a present. But which you were not given, so you bought it. No, that no your way you of gave it to me out? as a as a as a gift with a, an R thing. It, it wasn't part of this, but we can I, definitely use it for this. I think you find it was a bonus item. And also, I mean, Chris, it, you you have highly evolved by the vines just sitting right here. Um, <laughs> I'm ready to give. And it we've to got you. some more to fucking unwrap stay there. <laughs> Uh, now, people might have been disappointed in that last sound of sound as a pound because even though there were some bad albums there, there was no anger. We actually quite liked some bad albums. Because we're not just out to piss on people for the sake of it, right? It's one thing calling out Biffy Clyro for being a bunch of posing charlatans, right? But it's another thing to shit an ocean colour scene just because they happen to be good at something that sucks. So, Chris, what's your album this week? <laughs> 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 I just want to finish chewing the tumble well, pie. Well played. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I have, I mean, presumably I've been typecast here. I've been given the album Razorblade Suitcase by the grunge band Bush. For a change and I slip some. It may well be, it, it transpires, the band that killed grunge. Um, as Razorblade Suitcase, uh, according to Wikipedia and in some quarters, is known as uh, the last major grunge album of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Stone Dead. Goodness. Stone Dead. <laughs> Irony, self-awareness, everything folded in and collapsed on itself. Um, it even I, had I, Steve Albini production, which is fucking mental. All right, so I've got I've got some spiel to get through here before I bring you guys in on your comments, right? The first thing I want to point out is that I have got an ongoing beef with Benjamin Power of Blank Mass, who offhand said one day that uh, Silverchair were less bad than Bush, which I took great exception to, <laughs> because I think that Bush are far less bad than Silverchair. Um, and it's since got into, like, I mean, other people have been pulled into the fray, we've had sort of councils convened to, to adjudicate, and Ben has actually challenged us to have the argument on here with you two guys observing. Um, mm-hmm. So that may well happen. We can have a Who Killed Grunge special. Mm, yeah, the Grunge Nadir mixtape. Mm-hmm. Um, but that could be a thing that happens. Anyway, Bush are a band I'm very familiar with from a young age. Uh, 16 Stone came out in 1994 and I bought it in 1994. So I remember... 10 million other people. This, this was when um, Sterling... 
used to have like a bus station at the back of the Thistle Centre and it had no marches station. I mean, it was so different. The, the town was about half the size it is now and I remember standing at the bus stop gazing in wonderment at the back of this album cover and it's this weird brown and white, not very interesting album cover as well. Um, but yeah, so this was the follow-up. This came out in 1996. There were a lot of expectations in the band because they were like grunge pop, wunderkind kind of, you know, Gavin was a pin-up. Um... And they went and got Steve Albini to record it. Steve Albini was had sort of broken through into the mainstream with a, a couple of projects, especially in Utero by Nirvana, which came out in 94. Turns out, though, that Gavin Rossdale originally wanted Steve Albini to record 16 Stone, but they, they couldn't make it happen for whatever reason. Um, by the way, did you know that Gavin Rossdale dated Courtney Love for eight months? Oh, as, no. if to, as if to reaffirm his grunge credentials. Yeah, like 95, 96. Goodness. Um, so, I mean, Bush formed in 92 and apparently they originally sounded a lot like NXS. And I think when you consider how Gavin Rossdale looks, it kind of makes sense for them to rip off NXS more than it makes sense for them to rip off Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, whatever it was they were ripping off. Um, now, let's see, Mark, you had problems finding this, I believe, because if you go on Spotify, there was a reissue in 2016 that had four extra tracks, and currently on Spotify, you can only listen to the four extra tracks and not the actual original album. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure why that is, uh, but one of the things that actually attracted some people to the reissue, or at least made the press pay some attention to it, was the fact that the liner notes contained a short essay by Steve Albini. Um I think this is worth just discussing in brief. I, I'm a big fan of Steve Albini. I really like him. I, I, in person, I really like him. I've met him a couple of times, uh, but also just I like what he's got to say, even though he's a bit of a curmudgeon. I think he, he plays a valuable role in calling a lot of stuff out. Um, in the liner notes to this, Steve Albini sort of surprised people by taking the side of the bush because I think a lot of people thought it was just a fucking payday for him and he'd want to disown it. But his attitude was quite clear he, he sort of he said look Bush wear their influences very 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 much in their sleeves they don't hide it they're just quite happy to be this is this is what we like this is what we sound like you know they sound more typically American maybe their influences are clearly American but Albini compares them to the likes of Oasis and other bands that came around at the time probably menswear is a good example we've talked about them before Where like the press had already made them huge before they even had a record out. You know, they were already like buzzing. Oasis were the the band of the year before their first album even landed because of the hype that was kicking around at the time. Um, He says that Bush weren't like that. He talks about Bush touring especially in the States, a lot of the British bands, when they when they don't get the fame in America, he says they just, they give up touring there because the likes of Oasis, for example, couldn't handle the blow to the ego of going from playing these massive shows in the UK to playing pokey clubs. I mean, I remember when Biffy Clyro uh, were pretty big here, they were playing at like three, 400 capacity venues over there, opening for bands that over here opened for them. Mm-hmm. And that reversal doesn't sit well with some egos. So, you know, Steve says, whatever you think of Bush, they worked really hard in the States. They did multiple tours of like little clubs. They worked their way up. They got into people's affections via the college radio route. Um, they, they showed a bit of humility. And, you know, and accordingly, because they sort of didn't pay 
their dues to the British sort of kingmaker press, the, the sort of gatekeeper systems that were in place that allowed bans to be accepted. Those systems, Albini argues, rejected them. That's why Bush became such a laughing stock, were so picked upon. I am going to call bullshit on Steve Albini on this one. Bush's first album sold fucking loads in the States. Bush's album, when Bush formed in 92, the album came out in 94 and it went to number four in the charts that doesn't happen to a band because they were touring little clubs it just doesn't if this was their fifth album maybe you'd be like well those guys really worked their way up i'm not sure why i mean maybe there's some truth to it to some extent i'm sure they did smaller shows than perhaps other bands would have done but let's be honest bush fucking landed big time first time in the usa they were not roughing it in squats and shit like that to like 30 people they were doing that in the uk which is why we never fucking saw them or heard from them mm-hmm. um they maybe did this in reverse but you know I, I think that's a little bit of mythologizing around them on his part and i don't know if that's a, a conscience bam or i think he just really likes them i think he's worked with them and he actually they're probably just quite nice guys he just doesn't like seeing them get shot on by prima donnas and there's probably something fair in that but i don't think what he's suggesting here is in entirely true um i also think you know he, he talks about why bush were shunned and ridiculed they're a pretty easy band to ridicule let's be honest i think they have some pretty good songs over the piece i think sometimes their songwriting is quite interesting but sonically they're a fucking joke you know they're so derivative I mean, even the the way they tried to get credibility by association, apart from Albini, they went to the extent, again, a guy called Von Oliver to do the art for this. That's the person that done the art for Surfer Rosa by the Pixies. I mean, they were clearly trying to be cool by association. Um, This album is interesting because it shows them trying to make a play for being Nirvana as opposed to being Pearl Jam. They sort of straddled that for a while. And I think this was them very much trying to do the more obscure, cool thing. The uh, this album, by the way, uh, Dave, we've quoted Johnny Cigarettes from the NME in the past. Uh, this album famously got <laughs> one out of ten, which he said was solely for them managing to spell Bush right on the cover. <laughs> um, I mean, that writer was pretty famous for being a prick, <laughs> albeit quite funny at times. Um, in hindsight, I mean, I, I had this at the time, obviously, and I, I remembered it being more angular than it actually is now. It's maybe just because my tastes have moved on, though. Um, the lyrics are not good. Uh, really not good. Uh, Gavin Rossdale tries really hard to be obtuse and it just sounds try hard. Go through the songs a little bit. Um, I, I, I think we'll forget the first one. Uh, don't give a shit about it. Greedy Fly, the second one. I think it's not bad. One of the better songs in the album, the chorus in it's decent and it's a little bit more atonal and weird. Swallowed is a fucking monstrosity. It's absolutely gack grunge pop at its most throat-clogging peanut butter worst that's fucking disgusting. I remember Um, hearing it on the radio when I was on holiday as a kid in Portugal. I must have been like 
12, 11, and going, oh, I really like that. And then I'm, I somehow, I only heard it once and the hook got me. And then when I heard it again, I was like, oh, I don't, hmm, I don't think I like that. And then by the time I managed to get a copy of it on tape, I was like, actually, that's really quite a bad song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, you know, it reminds me of Creep by Radiohead. Yeah, yeah it's, it's got that, that same vibe. horrible, stodgy, basic structure that at first you're like, oh, wow, or like Zombie by the Cranberries or something like that. You're just like, oh, God, it that has no longevity. Um, Insect Kin, I think, is interesting because it shows them trying to do radio-friendly unit shifter. And at various points in this album, they sort of seem to try and replicate certain songs off of In Utero, Absolutely. as well as all the other aspects. Um, so that's kind of the most angular one on it and it even includes this thing where they put the catchiest bit in the bridge as opposed to the verse and chorus are all quite dissonant and weird but then they've got this big driving middle section and that's you know that was a brilliant moment in Radio Friendly Unit Shifter and it seems that they've sort of aped it um, Cold Contagious and Tendency to Start Fires aren't even worth talking about Mouth isn't terrible until the chorus and the chorus is fucking horrendous The biggest um, cringe on the album, man. It makes my elbows hurt. When I cringe, my elbows hurt, and my <laughs> elbows hurt so bad when I hear this song. They, they remixed that and brought it out when they did. Uh, they did a sort of like remix album, and that was the single of it. Um, Straight No Chaser is cello and violin, and it seems like it's trying to do all apologies a wee mm-hmm. bit. Um, history has exact same drum tone as uh, Scentless Apprentice. It tries to do that big open drum kit, keeping the guitar and bass out the road and sporadic. Um, it's not a particularly good song though uh, Tracks 10 and 11 are just these really low, dull, slow, lousy, fucking swampy songs It, it just it hits a total bleh. I mean, Bone Driven, the 11th track, they released as a single I don't know what the fuck they were thinking It's totally, inexplicably tuneless It's not a fucking single by any stretch of the imagination And then, potentially, the best track in the album is the last one, Distant Voices, which is actually alright. It still is actually alright. I was sort of like holding my breath, but it's quite melodic. It's definitely not trying too hard, and the vocals are just a little bit more relaxed. The lyrics as well And I didn't mind it I mean It's not a good album It's not a good album It was a very significant album In a movement And I can see why Grunge was declared Dead Mm -hmm. (laughs) After But 
I don't think it's a be all and end all of the band though. The album that came after it actually, the proper album that came after it had a couple of really well written choruses and stuff like that in it. And they're still better than Silverchair. <laughs> I think uh, most of this album's interchangeable, right? It's 61 minutes long. I mean, for fuck's sake, lads. Yeah. Get, get a hold of yourself. Um, particularly the last half of it, you can swap the songs around and you wouldn't even, nobody would even notice, you know? Um, but it sounds so, good, though. Mm, Production's pretty good on it. I'm not sure you about know, the Albini. I, yeah, I don't think it um, works. I think it's you know, too I don't sparse. Know. Like yeah. too rattly or something like that. It doesn't have power. I think when they did, is it Golden State, the album that came out after it? It's it's a much thicker album. And Bush are a thick band. <laughs> to like, <laughs> let's be honest, they're thick, grungy, stupid rock. And I, as much as they wanted to try and be a bit hipper, you know, fair enough, guys, you tried it, but I think it it just doesn't work for me at all. Dave, you're a big fan. <sighs> Jesus. Do you know what? Though you're right. It was it was the science of things that came after, and then it was Golden State. Is that the one? Yeah. And they suit having keyboard flourishes and electronica and just being a clearer, like much bigger studio rock band than they mm-hmm. do being this shitty, yeah. dirty, grungy rock band. Yeah, Bush are the grungy too, and they should have stuck to that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah a bad record. <laughs> uh, who's up next? I guess that'll be me then. Oh, yeah. uh, so, David very kindly got me a grand don't come for free. By the streets. It was supposed to be so easy. Just take back the DVD, withdraw that extra money, tell mum I wouldn't be back for tea, then grab my savings and hurry. So first to get the bill back. Hmm. Um, now, now this is this is a pound store album if ever I saw one. Oh yeah, I mean that's yeah. I mean I wonder I, I, like my, the, the copy they've got me doesn't actually have a booklet in it. Um, <laughs> it's because Dave kept it. I had to. I just made me wonder how much, like how much coke has been snorted off the case, the CD, <laughs> the case, <laughs> in a Vauxhall Corsa. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's probably still trace amounts on it if I if I wanted to have a look. Um, but a sub's kind of interesting in some ways, right? It's Mike Skinner trying to do something a little bit more. Well, I say Mike Skinner. The streets are a band. Mike Skinner's band, but they are a band. There's more than just him in it. I think a lot of people. And this is their second record. The second record. It's a concept album, and the concept is not even particularly grandiose. It's a guy loses a grand, and it just his life as he tries to get it back, and shit goes badly. It's like not a particularly big, involved, or dramatic story. It's a, it's a little snapshot of what life is probably like for a lot of people in you know South London, South London. Well, yeah, which is where <laughs> which is where he's from. You know. See, you said it's the second album. We 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 really need to just give some context and see that first album had a single on it called Has It Come To This? It's like his first release, I think, in 2002, mm-hmm. which starts with the line, this is a day in the life of a geezer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like original pirate material came out and it is kind of recognised as a classic because it kind of changed English 
hip hop and it captured working class life in the early 2000s. You can't do half my crew laughs at your rhubarb and custard verses. You rain down curses, but I'm waving your hearses driving by. Streets riding high with the beats in the sky. All stare, eyes glazed, garage burned down, the fire raged for 40 days. And it was kind of along, alongside Grime. It was UK Garage, it was Two Step. <laughs> and it was a really fucking interesting record and to be honest it stands the test of time um because it told sort of interesting working class young narratives in a very poetic way uh and then this is the follow-up he has the money from that first record and he decides to do a concept album um but yeah i mean he doesn't do a concept album about fucking wizards he does a concept <laughs> album about going on holiday and getting pissed and breaking up with his girlfriend the uh, the vast amount of people that really like this album were also really disappointed by the recent football results in the euro finals <laughs> it's so fucking english it is uh, so fucking english i mean i don't think we can give this a truly objective hearing as scotsman because mike is probably a lovely dude but fucking that accent is like nails down a blackboard all the way through. You, th- you think it, you'll get used to it, and it's just like he says something else, like sensitive bruv, in it. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just like fuck. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, I had to tape all my cutlery drawers shut so I wouldn't <laughs> ra- r- ram them in my fucking ears. It's absolutely fucking punishing to start to finish. I fucking hate it, and I'm glad you didn't give it to me. It sounds like a rappy version of the JCB song. Well, I'm rumbling in this JCB. I'm five years old, my dad's a giant sitting beside me. And the engine rattles my bum like berserk while we're singing. Don't forget you. <laughs> <laughs> See, no, I like, yeah, I under- I knew you wouldn't like it, Chris. And it's basically his voice is love it or hate it. And I understand it was how supposed it could be. to be so easy. Like I know that it is. <laughs> Can anyone like that? Going to be annoying, but I I really like that it exists, and I think it's a really interesting. Like, I think the streets and these first two records are really interesting bits of UK working class culture and art culture and the middle class art folk accepting working class culture and it you know being discussed because i th- i think i i just i think it's historically significant like pre-2002 you know it was eastenders and that was what working class people were and coronation street and then mike skinner mike skinner kind of came out and gave them a a poetic voice and albeit an annoying poetic voice, but he told stories. And I, I think this is a really interesting take on the banality of British working class life. I think um, it's... I, mean, I think this is the music equivalent of that bit where Del Boy tries to lean in the bar and falls through the gap <laughs> and only fools in the horses. Uh, so it's totemistic and British I think it, working class humour, but it doesn't need to be there. I think it can be annoying and it's been copied and it's cliched now, but I think it was genuinely fresh at the time. And yeah. I think it's a genuinely interesting snapshot of tabloid Britain of, you know, the time of, you know, Ibiza Uncovered and all this stuff. Kevin and, it, and Perry go large. Yeah, but it, was, it did it in a, in a, it didn't do it in a tabloidistic way. It did it in a, I'm part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
tabloidistic another word for the unsung dictionary yeah I think um, um, you know when this came out in 2004 the hip hop that I was getting into was underground American hip hop so this for me was the complete antithesis of that even though it was very working class it's on a major label you know it's it's getting it's massive singles on it two massive singles on it and I'm actually kind of glad I came back to it later um, I, I can't say that I really enjoyed it but I like the fact that it exists I like that I, I like I like that the narrative is somewhat compelling even if I do think that a lot of the, the rhymes can be quite stilted just because he's obviously trying to shoehorn them in um, it's quite basic in a lot of places you know um, it's, it's a lot more basic than the first record and I think it suffers from that because mm-hmm. I, I genuinely think his lyricism in the first album was really interesting and then in this he rhymes phone with phoned <laughs> yeah and I think the, the band or, or the beats even how much of it is the band how much of it is beats it's hard to say really I think a lot of it is also quite basic and you know there was people in it probably those people that were doing you know I guess what was it Garage at the time which is a huge thing that were doing stuff that was a bit more had a, a bit more verve than this mm-hmm. for lack of a better word but there's some cool songs in that I think could be well in is got a, quite a compelling narrative I really don't mind it so much it's got a really decent hook keeps a single from the album she said she was the worst pool player under the sun the blokes go easy so she always won I saw this thing on ITV the other week said that if she played with her hair she's probably keen it's got a nice little sample of strings in that Yuzi strings quite a lot in this record he's called a rap opera um, which is quite a fucking ambitious claim at the best of times anyway, you know. And he's since gone on he's since gone on to try and do stuff that is more akin to films or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um some stuff I don't think says particularly well and um, wouldn't have it any way any other way has got this kinda of almost reggae chorus. But I started to find the voice getting to me. Only four songs into the record. Um, the simple production on that one really works in its favour. It's got that dingy working class vibe to it, which is pretty cool. Um, Get Out of My House actually feels like gaslighting. Be proper Look, come on, calm down. It wasn't all totally like that. You're overreacting just a bit. Maybe we can sit down and chat. It's just you know I had stuff to do. Um. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you sort of, oh, this is happening in real time. He's turned the narrative around there. Oh, right. I'm not sure about this. I guess that's just, it's literally how relations relationships worked. Yeah. Then. But you know, it was a huge single for him, right? It's a pretty fun yeah. song as it goes as well. It's bit too much fake hand, no, but yeah, you score high. But there's just one little thing that's really, 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 really annoying me about you, you see. Yeah, yeah, like I said, you are really fit. But my gosh, don't you just know it? I'm not trying. It's got total crossover appeal. It's basically an indie song with rapping on it. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, Jamie T or something like that. Yeah, like, opened the world up for that. The protagonist is clearly an arsehole. It's quite apparent at this point in the narrative of the record. But it's catchy as fuck. And it's like when people liked Blur, right? And they liked Park Life and they thought, oh, yes, it's great, it's pure about lad culture. Then Blur were obviously so much more. Mm-hmm. The streets are actually so much more. There's a lot of commentary going on in this album. But people fucking love Fit, but you know it because it's like, oh, yeah, lads, yeah, isn't it? And yeah, I suppose that's. <laughs> yeah, it's like Al Murray, the pub landlord. It's loved by people that don't get the joke. Totally. Um, 
And then what does he think is kind of sinister? There's some cool orchestral flourishes in the background. All fits into place suddenly. Yeah, the coat was hanging up under my stairs. But one day it went leaving the cupboard bare. The facts all clicking and become square. He stole it while I was unaware. But why is he denying it when it's so vague? Um, there's a guy called Wayne G on it who's just fucking dreadful though he's got some of the worst rhymes <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life and he's right on the yeah. beat as well he doesn't even do anything interesting vocally he's just oh, he's just, just, he's just rapping on the beat it's like mate no um, dry your eyes mate is uh, dry your eyes see it's not even called dry your eyes mate it's just called dry your eyes her eyes glaze over like she's looking straight through me then her eyes must have closed for what seems an eternity when they open up she's looking down at her feet dry your eyes mate Dry your eyes is, <laughs> I think, single-handedly responsible for the entire musical existence of Ed Sheeran. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an acoustic song worth rapping, which is basically Ed Sheeran. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, you're probably right. It's like that acoustic grime. But um, hey, it's a, it's a guy getting in touch with his feelings. You know, <laughs> like the strings are really good. I like the acoustic guitar on it. The beat's really low-key. I can in see terms of a breakup song, it's... You know. Yeah, I think it's probably a lyrical high point in the album, this song. And it's em- actually introspective. Yeah, and Empty Can just kind of got a really cool idea behind it, right? It's the same song, but the same ending, two different endings, but in, in one song. And you get yeah. the dark ending where he, I think he fucking. He punches the, he punches the, the, the TV, TV engineer. Shouting stuff to me, slamming his door, shouting to me. So here I am in my house, drinking on my own city. Everyone's a cunt in this life, no one's there for me. No one gives a crap about Mike, that's why I'm acting nasty. Because he steals his grand from behind his TV, which he didn't know, he didn't know was there. Or you have the other one yeah. where his pal comes in and, and helps him fix the TV. And that the, the second part of it has got more of an Eminem feel almost to it, which is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Same song, different keys, uh, major or minor keys. It's pretty cool. It's a cool contrast. You know, I will say, I thought that the the drum and the the bass pattern on "Not Addicted" was pretty good, mm-hmm. pretty dope. How yeah. about that? How's hey, that? and it, it you know foresaw the uh, gambling addiction of UK culture fifteen years ahead of time. You know, mm, so. yeah, yeah. Um, man, I really like the Streets' first two records. I think the first one's genuinely fucking great. I think this one's interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, I can only take so much of his voice, but um, very interesting. I do think um, it's interesting. I think I think he's an interesting guy as well. And um, the streets and have just come back, I think, after being. Yeah, he keeps so he keeps going away and coming back. Mm. So I, I've kind of lost touch. Um, so we should move on to then my choice, which was from was this from you, Mark? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so another British rapper uh, on the same record label. Um, and this is only six years later. Uh, this is uh, Plan B with the, <laughs> the defamation of Strickland Banks. Which is another concept album with a fictional character played by Plan B. Can um, I go into a little bit so, of thinking as to why I picked this one for you, Dave? Uh, yeah, yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I picked. What was that I picked before for Chris? I picked Top Loader, right? 
Yeah. And you fucking hated it. And I thought, yeah. what can I give to Dave that he's also probably going to hate? It would make for a good banter. And I thought, it's going to have to be plan, plan B. <laughs> it's well, the first thing I, I've seen. <laughs> I don't think I'd heard Plan B. And I, well, I think like his first record was genuinely a kind of rap album. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, there was acoustic songs and stuff like that. But it had proper rap stuff on it. And I'm out to notch up as many points as possible. Showing the kids on my state that I'm unstoppable. Cause in my well respect, the only thing that matters is fight getting enough. Someone weak enough for me to beat is getting battered. His self esteem's getting shattered into tiny little fragments in the floor. The title of his first record came from a meat puppet song. You know, so I was like. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. Um, What was the first record called? Uh, who needs actions when you got words? It's a line from Plateau. Well, I guess it might be the Nirvana cover that he's getting it from. But yeah, yeah that's true. He seems, he seems to be quite a uh, quite a talented dude who's got a really good knowledge of music, which is quite yeah. interesting. Yeah, exactly. I'm which... going to have a very strange take on this album. I think. Oh my god! Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, get out, I get out the road if you yeah. want. Well, I, I thought this was going to be grime or something interesting, and it uh, turns out to be the most fucking turgid, neo-soul, white people in London taking Motown pish I've ever heard in my life. It's just like guys called Chad getting in the, the friends to play drums on the this song that, oh, fuck off. I think I maybe got him mixed up with Professor Green, because yeah. I, I at least thought Professor oh, yeah. Green sings about getting stabbed and that. This mm. is just fucking appalling. In the 80s and 90s, we had Simply Red, who at least wrote good songs no. uh, with their terrible M.O.R. But this is just shit. It's like so far removed from what I want music to be. It's just <laughs> background music to a fucking bank advert bullshit. Um, oh, I, I, like all the songs just merge into one for me. There's like some upbeat white funky soul. There's some downbeat white funky soul. There's one with some rapping on it. Uh, and at least some interesting percussion. I think that's on Darkest Place. But no, I was just listening to this and I was like, this is what is wrong with Britain. <laughs> this is DFS on a Sunday. This is fucking <laughs> like maxed out my credit card at Burton. Oh, nah, pish. <laughs> fucking hate it. Burn it with fire. Mark, you got exactly what you wanted. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think my work here is done. <laughs> um, right. You had like genuinely talented folk like Amy Winehouse and stuff, and then it got put into the you know the commercial radio factory, but it still had some sort of soul, and it did link back to like good soul artists. But this is not good soul. This is this is bad soul. Mm. I I disagree with David on this. Um, I, you know, Plan B, I, I actually have avoided this guy completely and I didn't really know what to expect. Maybe it is a Professor Green thing. I sort of thought some kind of rappy, shitty British hip-hop, pop, light stuff. Um, and I've not heard the early stuff at all. I know that the guy has a fairly diverse taste in music, so I've seen him doing the covers of stuff that was like quite unusual and he clearly likes Nirvana and things like that, which is why I think he maybe got that quote from the Unplugged album. But... I agree with Mark. I think this is a guy with a fairly broad knowledge and taste in music. I don't really know how much he's got to do with the writing of his stuff. He wrote it all. But 
He wrote it he all. Wrote all of it, I mean, yeah. What I hear in this is like a white guy. I hear like the the the, the Motown Eminem, basically, um, a white guy trying to do a traditionally black genre. Um, he seems to have a very sincere love of Motown mm-hmm. to me listening to it and being totally objective I had no dog in the fight here he seems to really be quite into it um, he attempts to contemporise it a wee bit uh, with some of the rappy stuff and I actually think that's the low point Just maybe that's just a bit of reflection of my personal tastes. I actually think that with stuff like the track "Writings on the Wall," I think the writing on that tune's for a, for a Motown track is pretty decent. Imagine it in the hands of somebody that was actually a really good singer, like maybe like CeeLo Green or something like that. If somebody with a really powerful delivery had performed that, it wasn't, as you say, so white. I do agree, it's totally, it, it really smacks of like a white guy trying hard to get the nod from the, 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 the kingmakers in, in that scene. Um, the more I don't need to see him, the more I actually can can tolerate it. The more I didn't, you know, I, I watched a couple of the videos and it was horrendous. Like I couldn't fucking deal with it. But the more I was just like walking about listening to it, I was like, this is totally inoffensive. I mean, it's it's Audi music. It is absolutely fucking boring executive banker music, of course. But I'm just trying to look at his motivations for doing it, um, and I feel like he's. He's pretty kind of honest about it. There was no real reason for him to change his career in this direction. He just seems to have wanted to. What I will say is that Love Goes Down is a single. Um, that's got a uh, DCI Kate Fleming. Um, what's her name? Vicky McClure, the actress uh, in the video for that. And I was like, Love Goes Down. Is this a is this a reference to him losing his erection? Mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't work it out. Poor lad, maybe he saw the season six finale of <laughs> Line of Duty. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's okay. Uh, it's absolutely okay. I expected to get far more annoyed by many of the albums that we've done in this than than I actually was. Yeah. So, uh, but the story goes that he had two albums. They wanted to do this one and a hip hop one, which were two parts of the same story. And his label were like, "You need to do one of the other." And he put and they decided he was going to do the soul one next. Um. Apparently came up with the, the, the song Love Goes Down, the one you're talking about, where he was supporting the Roots in America, which which makes sense. Because um, they can actually do it both, they can actually do both those things in the one song. They can do soul and hip-hop in the one song. Um, he doesn't really get as good as them ever. It's fine. Um, this album's fine. It's, it's pure Audi music, you're right. There's there's no other way of putting it. Um, I don't mind the rapping and stay too long. I think he's pretty decent at rapping, actually, as, as things go. Although he does, does sound a, a bit more annoying than Night Skinner sometimes. Um, she said it was a massive hit. This, this album had seven singles off it. It's like thrill, thriller level singles. So 1.4 million copies. It was, you know, it was a, it was a really big hit in the 2010. It's quite a big hit. 
I can't really, I don't know that much to say about it. The, the pseudo, the pseudo soul, I guess neo soul vibe. It just feels like it's trying too hard to me. Uh, his voice is too weak to really carry a lot of these ideas through to completion. I think mm-hmm. that it, it apes a lot of the time. It's kind of going for the big sixties grandiose production, and it never gets it. Is, it. it never, yeah, never it quite it's gets too it. Too slick. Yeah, it mm-hmm. doesn't have the brassy, overdriven analog tape feel of classic Motown. It doesn't have that crispy edge. Yeah, I, th- I think what I'm offended most is not like the quality of the songs, which are fine, or the quality of the musicianship, which is strong, but it's the it's just the fact that it's just trying to be something yeah. that has been perfected so much by so many incredible artists and then he's just some white lad from London and there's just a bunch of white label execs going yeah let's fucking get that fucking great soul record out by plan B <laughs> uh, um, no it's just it's like the inauthenticity of it it must That's be interesting though right Mark's unburdened a pound store of this album and this album is one of the archetypal pound store albums. I mean, the thing is, over time, via the, the natural process of like sedimentation, um, the eventually all pound stores will be populated by maybe five or six albums because all the rest will have been filtered out and these will all have just accumulated there. And Mark's broken that cycle and I can only imagine <laughs> the expression on the cashier's face. <laughs> <laughs> You know, after this, he went away and made a film called Ill Manners, which he wrote and directed, and it actually stars Riz Ahmed. Is it any good? Uh, there's actually no reviews of it on Wikipedia. That's uh, not a good sign. It opened, it opened with a good gross. No, apparently it's got 8% fresh and rotten tomatoes. Holy fuck. Okay. Maybe it is actually yeah. all right. <laughs> Did the soundtrack album for it as well, obviously, so... Maybe Riz is doing a lot of the heavy lifting there, but maybe not. Maybe we're being unfair. I mean, like I said, I don't think it's so bad. Mm. Well... Shite. <laughs> but thanks I just need to wonder what I'm going to get next <laughs> oh yeah, yeah 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 there's a there's a new batch here for you mm-hmm. cool alright buzzing and then we'll go and empty out some more pound stores just for for you guys yes keeping the economy afloat that's what we're yeah. doing for this podcast cycling it back out to the workers man in the street well thanks very much I did have fun I it was enjoyable thanks I'm sorry um, for making you angry Dave We'll have more bonus content in the. It's not I'm the face go of a crash test dummies to just uh, relax. <laughs> it's not the face of a man that's actually sorry. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> catch his later. All right, cheerio. Bye.